Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I have been excited about this episode for a long time. My guest today is Lane Jones. And if you listen to Andy Stanley's podcast, uh, you'll know Lane because he's the other voice on the podcast. If you don't listen to Andy's podcast, seriously, you should subscribe. Like just pause right now and subscribe. It is gold. It comes out once a month. And Lane is not only the host of that podcast, he's also been my boss for a few years and also become a really, really good friend. I just so appreciate Lane. And Lane, along with Andy and Reggie Joyner and three other leaders, Rick Holiday, Bill Willits, and Julie Arnold, sat down uh, 20 years ago and started North Point Community Church. They were the founding staff members. And so Lane takes us back. We, we talk about a number of things, but he takes us back to those early years of North Point. And he, he gives me a perspective on those years that I... Th- I've never really heard anywhere else. And it's just fascinating. And if you're a church planter, I mean, you look at North Point, if you've ever been there, it's the largest church in North America, according to Outreach Magazine. And I mean, you look at it and it's just like, wow, you you look at your 40 people or 80 people or 500 people and go, you know, we'll, we'll never be there. But like, it didn't start that way. And so Lane takes us through really the first three years, which had some ups and definitely had some downs. And I hope you hear it as encouragement. And I hope that you hear it in a way that you kind of go, okay, you know, we may never become the largest church in America or your country or wherever you're listening, but that doesn't mean because we got some struggles or, or because we're, you know, having some issues that God isn't going to use our church because I really believe he is, and he's going to use all kinds of churches. And so I hope this story really comes to you as encouragement. And it is a part of the story that frankly, I've never heard anywhere else. So I'm really excited to talk to Lane and just share with that. Also at the end, Lane tells you about one of the number one questions I get is like, how do we become a North Point partner? And for years, I haven't had a clear answer to that. Lane does at the end of this podcast. So make sure you listen right through to the end. In the meantime, I bet you some of you are actually looking for staff right now. I know we, we're not in perpetual search mode, but it seems like a couple times a year we're adding team members and that sort of thing. And I think one of the most expensive mistakes you can make is a bad hire. And you know that. If you've hired and it hasn't worked out, man, that, that is expensive. Not just financially, but like relationally, and, and everybody feels bad in the process. How do you avoid that? Well, probably one of the best ways is to simply be prepared. And if you listen back to episode 19, you'll know that I interviewed William Vanderblumen. And William heads up a a large, large church search company. They staff the church. It's called the Vanderblumen Search Group. And William's got a brand new book out. It's called Search, the Pastoral Search Committee Handbook. And it's incredibly practical. So whether you're searching for it with a search committee or you've got a staff team together, whatever that looks like, you can pick that up. You can go to pastorsearchbook.com or you can just search Amazon for it. It's available now. And I think it'll help you. And I want to thank Vanderbloom and Search Group for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and bringing it to us. And make sure you check that out. All the links are in the show notes. It's just at pastorsearchgroup.com. And I hope it helps you really avoid the most expensive mistake you can make, which is making the wrong hire. Well, I got a couple more things I want to share with you. First of all, just want to say thank you to all of you who continue to leave ratings and reviews. Thank you so much for that. And you can do that on iTunes and that just helps get the word out. So if you think this is helpful or interesting, man, I would love for you to share the love by doing that. And of course, you can subscribe too. That way you make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that for free on iTunes, on Stitcher, or on TuneIn Radio. And in the meantime, here is my conversation with Lane Jones. Well, I am really excited to have Lane Jones on the podcast. A lot of you know him uh, because you kind of have your own podcast, don't you, Lane? <laughs> uh, I have a, a very small part of a, of a really great podcast, yes. Yeah, known as the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Absolutely. So if you're like, how do I know this guy? You've either read his books, because you got a couple of great books, Communicating for a Change, which you wrote with Andy. And honestly, probably my all-time favorite ministry strategy book, The Seven, um, now I'm going to forget, Practices of Effective Ministry. It was so memorable that I forgot the title. (laughs) Well, as long as you remember the practices. that's Yeah, that's it. Actually, that book, it was released, what, in 2004? 
Uh, yeah, over almost 12 years ago. I got it. I got it like a month after it came out and wow. it revolutionized how I approached ministry. Oh, that's great. It was it, just an amazing, amazing book. And we've become friends and you're kind of technically my boss, right? Is, uh, that, is that how that works? I, that line is so dotted and indirect that I don't know that anybody could follow it if, if, if that's true. So... <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't you want you don't want to claim responsibility, do you? No, I'll take all the credit. So, uh, yeah, I'm a multinational church leader. So, yeah, I cover North America and Canada. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. So, uh, Lane, actually, these days you've done a lot of things at North Point. One of the founders of North Point, but these days you lead the whole strategic partner network uh, initiative at right. mm-hmm. uh, North Point, and in that regard, have been my boss for the last few years. Yeah, and have thoroughly enjoyed our relationship with Conexus and uh, personally with you, Carrie. Hey, it's a lot of fun, Lane. It really is. And and you also you also have the distinction of being the only guest whose interview I lost. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you asked me back, I, I, I decided not to take it personally from that point forward. But when you you told me you lost the interview. I thought, well, you know, that's that's one for history then. Yeah, it's funny. We met last fall in person when I was in Atlanta and we recorded yeah. something. And I got like the first 25 minutes of it and the rest of it just disappeared. And it was so good. I was like, seriously, I, I needed counseling over losing it. Absolutely. But, uh, it was gold there. Yeah. It was and really good. I'm afraid we'll never find that again, but we'll, we'll just, mm-hmm. we'll go where we can today. If one of you finds it one day, it'll be worth money. <laughs> Because Lane said some stuff that, you know, I'm not sure we, we can recreate, but it yeah. was... Thank God was, was watching out for me, actually. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lane, you've, you've... Catch us up a little bit with your story. Just give us a nickel tour of your life, because you've been oh. connected mm-hmm. uh, with North Point from the very beginning. It was, right. in fact, you, along with Andy and Reggie and a few others who started it. Um, but your association with Andy goes back even further than that. Yeah, um, I was on staff at First Baptist Atlanta with uh, Andy, and Andy's dad was our lead pastor, Charles Stanley, which most of your listeners are aware of him, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, gosh, 10 years before we started North Point. So I uh, started there actually the same summer that Andy did. He had just gotten out of seminary, and um, I had not just gotten out of seminary. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually started in our administration area, and I graduated uh, journalism degree, public relations. This is when uh, First Baptist was um, very large, influential Baptist church. I mean, still is, but uh, was uh, Dr. Stanley had just uh, become president of the convention, all these different things. And somebody there decided, thankfully, that they needed uh, someone to do public relations, which uh, ended up meaning uh, somebody to do the newsletter and the bulletin. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was great. And uh, But it was just such great a uh, great time, a uh, great place to learn. And uh, so I started there, yeah, um, 31 years ago this uh, coming summer. So, oh, man. Uh, and that's where yeah. you met Andy. That's where you yeah, know, the yeah. team Yeah, I had met Andy actually. He actually dated a friend of mine in high school. And oh, wow. uh, I'd met him like maybe once or twice, just, you know, like totally, you know, offline, not, you know, n- nothing to remember. But, uh, but yeah have uh, known him for now 36 some odd years. So, Wow. So you've done that ministry and, uh, and tell us about one of, one of the things that I've always enjoyed talking to you about is the early days of North Point. I know a lunch that we had, oh, probably four or five years ago where you started telling me about the early days of North Point. So mm. let's talk about that. Yeah. What led you guys? I mean, we know from deep and wide what yeah. happened with Andy and, and the whole mm-hmm. deal, and we don't need to go over that. If you haven't right. read Deep and Wide, and you're wondering how North Point got started and why Andy left uh, the ministry he had with his dad, he writes about it, right? You can read yeah. that. So Yeah, first uh, two chapters are, I mean, the book is amazing. And uh, if you've ever wondered what we're all about, if you read that book, uh, you will get every question answered about not only, as Carrie said, how we got started, but you know what's behind why we do what we do, and and uh, the the really the motivation behind the mission and vision. But yeah, the first two chapters alone are worth worth the book the because the book, uh, for sure. yeah, I mean it's like a it's as close to a soap opera, I guess, as you get in in church world. So, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. it's. Uh, yeah, no, no sense in rehashing old history. But. Well, and you guys lived through all that, and mm-hmm. it led to six of you 
leaving the staff, all in different sequences of uh, First Baptist Church and starting this new thing called North Point Church, or actually No Point Church, which yeah, is exactly, his first yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, actually, there were almost 40 people who left staff during that time. And, really? Uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a difficult time. But um, ultimately, uh, a few months later after leaving, um, uh, depending on when, who, you know, who left, uh, Andy called, uh, as you said, five of us and said some people had approached him about starting a church in the area and kind of continuing what we had begun at First Baptist North. And um, and I was like, hey, it's the best phone call I ever got. You know, yeah. so uh, it, it was great. What were you doing in that gap? Were you sort of between jobs or thinking about uh, Actually, I, I started painting houses. I mean, I... I <laughs> I had three kids. I mean, you know, this, I had three kids under seven. And so I, I, you know, push comes to shove, you do whatever you have to do. And so I I just started painting. It was flipping burgers or painting houses. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, yeah, I mean, I was in ministry. I had no discernible, you know, skills. So I mean, (laughs) I had to do something. So, uh, no, I, you know, I, I've, I've always, you know, when you're young, you, you do what you have to do. So it, it wasn't that I had, I didn't have business cards printed up or anything. I, I just, you know, started doing that as some odd jobs for some people and uh, and really just trying to figure out the next uh, thing. I wasn't absolutely sure that um, I, I think I knew I wanted to stay in ministry. I, I wasn't absolutely sure that that was going to be the next stop because it, it was a, a difficult season and um, it, you know, it it wasn't a job. I mean, you know, this was family and we were, we were emotionally invested, you know, where we were. And so, uh, to walk away from that was, I mean, it was hands down the toughest thing I ever had to do. Uh, so I, you know, I, I just wasn't ready just to, you know, send the resume out and, and figure out. And I, um, had fortunately enough, uh, enough savings, enough vacation and, and, uh, you know, that I could uh, give myself, a, you know, a few months to, to think about it. So in th- thankfully in that time before I did, you know, have my painting business cards printed up, uh, Andy called. Wow. So he called you. He called Reggie Joyner, uh, um, Julie Arnold, right. Bill Willits, right. Rick, Rick Holliday. Holliday. Yeah. Right. And it's the six of you, six being Andy, who right. started this thing called North Point Church. No Point Church was just a, a sign error, right? Wasn't that like yeah. the first Sunday? Yeah, uh, first the- or second Sunday, we were at the uh, Cobb Galleria, which is a big convention center, and they had a giant um, matrix sign out front, you know, the big light sign, mm-hmm. and, and didn't have enough room for the whole name of the church, so they abbreviated it, and it became out N-O period church, you know, no point. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. So, you know, with a start like that, there's no wonder that we've ended up where we are. Yeah. So how much of your desire to start something new was born out of frustration with the way church was, uh, back in 1995 when North Point started? Mm. Well, I think a lot of, of, um, I I mentioned earlier, we were working together at what was called First Baptist North, um, Mm -hmm. I won't go into all the history of how this happened, but First Baptist decided to do multi-site. And this was in, gosh, 1989, 1990. So that's yeah. before multi-site was really, you know, too much of a thing. Totally uh, innovative. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't a plant because we weren't separate. We were we were the northern campus um, of First Baptist. And and uh, they were going to relocate out there later. And, and there's a lot of, of history there. And, in fact, it's where they currently are located. Right. Um and uh, we went out and um, they asked the the deacons, along with Andy's dad, asked Andy to go out and start a service. And so um, we were like, oh, gosh, you know, <laughs> don't throw us in the briar patch. And so, you know, we were, we were out in this warehouse. Um, fortunately, they did add air conditioning, which was nice. But it was <laughs> it was fairly rustic. I mean, concrete floor, um, just, you know, plastic on the walls. But uh, we were we were just in heaven because we were getting to kind of do what we wanted to do and and rethink how how church was done. So you had and a lot of freedom. We really did, and you know it's it's you know we were all in our our early to mid thirties, and um, and so we you know it, it wasn't that we were frustrated with with 
the uh, necessarily the model at at First Baptist, but it it was what it was, and it it wasn't going to become anything else. Not that it needed to. It's just right. it was doing what it did, and. And uh, if you were a church person or you kind of understood that world, then you were perfectly at home. If you were not a church person, you know, there <laughs> there was some confusion at times. Let's just say, you know, because we we all talk to who we think is in the room. And, right. uh, you know, and if they're all church people, that's who you, who you talk to. And, and um, you know, it, it was great. So it wasn't a frustration like, oh, these people won't let us do. I mean, they were very empowering in, in hey, go, you know, give it a shot and try it. But uh, I think the frustration was more with just where the model was at the time and and just where where church was at the time. And many of us had been back and forth to Willow Creek and we had seen really kind of a new way of doing things. And not that we came back and did necessarily what Willow Creek did because we, you know, we didn't. It was a, a different slant on that. But it was more the permission giving um trip that that you kind of go there and you say, okay, there is potentially a different way to do this. And um, and so Andy's dad allowed us, you know, that permission to go out and give it a try. And it was working. I mean, you were connecting. So in many ways, what you were doing at First Baptist was successful. I mean, the North Campus was growing like crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard you and Andy and Reggie describe it as basically you took over from your student ministry days and just kept doing that style of church, except it was for adults. Yeah, yeah, and um, and it, it was successful, and um, it, it was it was one of those times that that you know with a, a a big net under us, we could take some risks and we could try some things, and um, and you know the bottom line is if it didn't work, we'd all just go back down and do what we were doing. So right. I think because of that, it really gave us the freedom to uh, to try some things and to um, to go on some assumptions, but not you know, not necessarily put very much at risk. And so uh, it was just a very, you know, it was just a great time and a great season. And um, and if you had gone to one of those services and then you came to North Point today or even to the North Point services in the early days, you would, you would experience a very different, uh, um, you know, feeling different model. It wasn't that we we went there and immediately began doing everything we're doing <laughs> today. Mm-hmm. But we began that process of being able to go, wow, what would it look like if we, if we made as our primary um, uh, focus engaging an unbeliever into the service, you know, speaking right. to that person and figuring out creative ways to engage them and creative ways to go, you know, wow, I never thought about it that way. And, and Andy's, uh, communication style has always been that way, but I think even more so in those four years, uh, let me get that right. Yeah. Three and a half years that we were at first Baptist North, <laughs> I think it really began, uh, to develop. So, um, yeah, it was just a, a great time. So yeah, there was some frustration with the model. Uh, but I wouldn't say there was a lot of frustration, you know, in the early days of starting that with the system because they, they were very, uh, very empowering and uh, very encouraging to a certain degree. Um, as we began to grow <laughs> and as uh, things began to, to take off out there and uh, we began to um, to really become as large as the uh, the congregation was downtown, it brought some tension in, sure. obviously. And, um, you know, there was a lot of we, they, and, and you know, you know, we tried to, to fight it to a certain extent um, as much as, 30 year olds would fight that kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, there was a little swagger. In yeah. Chat, I mean, maybe. So, you know, yeah. We, you know, of course we were, we, and they were, they, but you know, it, <laughs> it, um, but it was, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was great. And then it, it did get, you know, more and more difficult, but you know, I'll say, you know, even at that, there was still, and then, you know, it's like, Hey, that's, you know, that's great, but don't forget about us down here. You know? So it was, right. it wasn't so much about we're against what you're doing. It was, but you know, we're, we still have to do what we're doing, you know, as well down here. And most of us had responsibilities at both campuses, right? you know, so, and you know how that goes, you, you know, if, if your heart's in one place and your job's in the other, you, you tend to spend more time where your heart is. So, mm-hmm. um, but I also think that, you know, if there were frustrations, a lot of it was just born out of the fact that we were all like 32 to 35 year old leaders who, who, you know, were ready to, to, you know, to, you know, turn it up a notch and, and, 
you know, just see how fast you can make this thing go. So, um, uh, you know, I think that's inherent in, in all leaders, especially about that age, is right. that that it doesn't matter how great the system, it doesn't matter how great the model is, you know, you, you just have that sense of, I got to, I got to, you know, try this out. I got to see what I can do. <clears throat> and I see that here. I mean, I think we have one of the, you know, most amazing environments and cultures that you can work in. And yet I'll see, you know, men and women that, you know, come in here and, and, and they're great and they're, you know, clicking along and I'll just, you know, I can almost spot them. I feel like now and go, Hey, you know, I give that guy two years and, you know, two years, he's going to be heading out and trying it somewhere because it's just in him to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, we, we give those people as much room as we can and want them to have a chance to develop and lead here. And, and many of them do, but you know, you know, there's just that personality that's like, I'm going to go and figure this out and I'm going to go and, um, run my own show. And, and so I think there's always that, you know, in that season of life. So that, that vein of frustration, I think, you know, was, was there in all of us too. Who did you look to for inspiration in those formative days at First Baptist North and then the early days of North Point? You mentioned Willow. I would say probably, you know, we looked to, to writers more than we looked to, um, to, to at least in, in my world. I mean, okay. you know, talk, talk you about know. that. Well, you know, just, just the, you know, the, you know, just different leadership books, not that there were a ton of leadership books in the, you know, in that season. Now there were a few, but you know, there wasn't like there is today, you know, but, uh, you know, and that, that's one thing that I think younger, we have a lot of younger leaders listening right. to this podcast. It's really, I mean, I remember the nineties, a lot of you were born in the nineties, but you had to work to learn from other people. Like you oh, yeah. had to jump on a plane and fly to Chicago. There was right. no meaningful internet. I mean, email was something NASA used or whatever. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, and and so you you bought books at a bookstore or you uh, got a VHS tape or a DVD uh, right. back in the 90s. And there wasn't this kind of like instant connection with everyone and everything everywhere that we have today. So it was just, it was just a different environment, but you definitely, I mean, it's not like you were locked in a room and like never heard from anybody. So talk to us about the leadership books or the, yeah, I mean, that was influential. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I remember us, you know, we read Covey's book and, and, you know, and you reading a Stephen Covey book in a Baptist church. I think we had to hide it. I think we wrapped (laughs) you know, a brown paper wrapper around it, you know, just so that, it, you know, it's kind of like, cause you'd get these looks like, huh, do you know who that guy? It's like the seven yeah, habits just, of yeah, highly effective yes, people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and another guy that, and again, indirectly in the beginning and then more directly later, especially with Andy as, as you know, his reputation began to grow and he would have more contact with these people. But um, I'm trying to think, I know Andy did, I did, uh, Bill did. I mean, we all sat under Howard Hendricks at, at Dallas yeah. Seminary and, yeah. And this was prior to the the leadership center opening out there, and they were just beginning that whole idea of, you know, Christian leadership. And um, hmm. yeah, and that was a novel concept. It was, it? it was, and and so much of it was just elective courses. And um, I remember when I was out there, I, I took everything I could uh, with him and and one or two other guys because it was just like, you know, these are 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 sort of the the pioneers in, in that whole thing. And so, uh, we would lean into that teaching and then also, you know, just read together and, and really challenge one another. And so, um, I think one of the reasons that, that trying to, to mentor and trying to develop, um, content and trying to pass things off is such a, a high value here is I, I wouldn't say it was a huge value in, in our early days. You, you had to just kind of scrap and fight and scratch out whatever, you know, you could find. And so yeah. to a great extent, we, uh, we mentored and developed one another. We would meet, uh, in the mornings one day a week. This is at, at first Baptist North and, and, uh, the cracker barrel at, uh, <laughs> you know, just talk about whatever the book was. I, I'd love to tell you what the books were, but you know, that's 25 years ago now. And I'm, my, my brain is, is, is gone on that. But, um, so you uh, would read leadership books now. Yeah. Were other le- other than Bill Hybels, who you sort yeah. of knew of because he had started leadership summits, were other leaders doing that? Like, how did you stumble into that? Uh, you know, I would say we stumbled into it because Andy, you know, stumbled into it, and yeah. Um, yeah. so much of what uh, you know, so much of what we've done has been because he's 
kind of been out there on the forefront and and had the opportunity to meet and and connect with uh, some amazing leaders, and then has been so um, diligent about bringing that back and um, investing it into our team. And uh, so um, you know, through him and through other um, you know connection points here, you know, in Atlanta, Atlanta had some fairly uh, vigorous, you know, ministries and those, it still does. And, uh, so we would, we would connect with leaders from, you know, other churches, other organizations, um, and, you know, sort of go from there. But it was, uh, I would say it was far more organic than it was systematic in those days. Yeah. See, I'm always interested in the early days in North Point because I think a lot of our leaders can sort of relate to that. You guys are starting something, you're in the early days and, Everybody's trying to find momentum. So this is a part of the story I find fascinating, Lane. You had a lot of momentum at First Baptist North. Right. It, did it actually become the larger of the two campuses? If I remember was, correctly, on uh, Easter Sunday of 95, um, our Easter numbers, uh, for the first time, our numbers were, were higher than the downtown numbers. I could That could be apocryphal, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then Andy stepped back. Andy, right. Andy resigned shortly after that. In August of that year, yeah. Yeah, and then a couple months hiatus, and then what? It was October of 95, that um, November? Yeah, November, November, October, November, yeah. So for, all for a, blur. a couple months, it is all a blur. <laughs> I'll have to go back and read deep and wide. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so so the fall of 95, North Point launches. Now, how many people were you running, do you remember, back? This is just encouragement to everybody, because this is a part of the story that not a lot of people know that I find very encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> so how many people would you have seen roughly on that Easter Sunday? Uh, gosh, on, on the Easter Sunday, I want to say there was probably 5,000 people at First Baptist North, 4,500, right. 4, and again, <laughs> somebody with the real numbers could go, what are you what? on? I Pastor mean, that is math. so, yeah, yeah. exactly. But I, I think it was somewhere around there, but, um, in my mind, there were 5,000. I know, I know real. there were. And, um, and then, um, we, we, we formed in late October, early November of 95. We didn't actually start meeting regularly until January. Okay. Uh, we had one meeting for Christmas at kind of a big Christmas, you know, special type thing on a Sunday night. Uh, but then started meeting in, in January. And um, if memory serves, a couple of thousand people were at the Christmas thing. And then on average, uh, about 1,800 or so. Again, these were adults only. Uh, there were some right. you know, the kids um, involved. But um, that was about where we were in that January. Um, so, yeah, we didn't <laughs> we didn't really plant a church. We we transitioned, you know, a church. And um and uh, met every other week for three, you know, almost, you know, three and a half years right? Um, prior to, to getting into our building. And the Olympics got in the way. and so Yeah, Olympics and so were forth. coming to Atlanta in 96. We couldn't meet for nine, nine or 10 weeks. Um, so, yeah, there was just always, always something going on. Our, the, where we were meeting at the Cobb Galleria is, is, you know, 15 miles and, you know, 20 minutes from here. So not, not where we were trying to end up ultimately. So there were, there were just, you know, it was, but it was like anything when you're in the early days and you're starting something, you, you take what you can get and you, you make the best out of it. And, uh, so we met every other week and, um, on Sunday evening and, uh, we knew we wouldn't have a full program for kids and, and, uh, students for a while. So we encouraged every, uh, every family to attend somewhere else on Sunday morning and uh, get their kids in, in good programs. And then, you know, if they were really, you know, wanted to be a part of what we're doing to come on Sunday night. And so uh, that's basically what we all did as well. And kind of the interesting thing about that is it, it gave us the chance to uh, not only do what we're doing, but to see what everyone else was doing too, and to visit and, and learn some things to do and, and frankly, learn some things not to do. Yeah. And, um, and I think what that did is it it set us up when we launched uh, when we opened our building in '98 to to really um, offer a unique product in in the church world. And we don't think about church as a product, and and you know, and and rightly so to some extent. But also, it is a it is a product, and people yeah. do come and and they experience it, and so. 
um, as, as you've heard Andy say in the past, um, it wasn't that we had the best hot dog, you know, stand. It was in North Atlanta. We had the only hot dog stand in North Atlanta mm-hmm. that was doing what we were doing. And so, you know, the hot dogs didn't even have to be that good if it's the only <laughs> one that's there. So, uh, um, and there were some great churches and still are some amazing churches in, in, you know, in Atlanta, but not specifically targeting and creating an environment for unchurched people. And, right. uh, and so it, it really gave us a, um, a great period in that not only the years at First Baptist North as we kind of went through the, the laboratory to a certain degree, but those three years as we were meeting every other night, um, I mean, every other week, um, it, it really gave us a time to refine and, and narrow, as, as you know, one of our practices, mm-hmm. narrow our focus of exactly what we were going to do and what we weren't going to do. And so... Uh, if if you had seen the org chart and the plan from day one, and then you saw what it looked like five years later, you would understand the the really the blessing and the benefit and really the answered prayer that not having resources um, gave us. Because mm. had we walked into um, 1995, January of 96, with you know all the money in the world and, you know, lots of people, we were able to just pull the trigger on doing exactly what we wanted to do. Uh, I think we would have done some things that, that we would have to have undo undone later and could have very easily, um, uh, you know, sent us down some rabbit trails. And I'm not, I'm not saying we wouldn't have ultimately ended up where we were, but um, it, just that season gave us the time to really reflect and think. And, and, and we spent it, <clears throat> you know, we only met every other Sunday but uh, staff was in the office every day, hmm. and um, we spent hours and hours and hours not only talking to one another and refining the mission and the vision, but working that mission and vision with um, countless numbers of volunteers. And um, uh, Reggie and Julie and Bill Willits especially, the three of them are the kind of people magnets in, in yeah. our world in those days. Rick and uh, – Andy and I kind of stayed back and just, you know, worked in our office, but they, (laughs) (laughs) they were amazing. And, and just continually casting that vision and refining it, I think is what enabled us to go further faster. Once, uh, once we opened the building. What I hear you saying lane is that scarcity actually produced a focus for you rather than discouragement (laughs) rather than, because I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, nobody really, you, you would think, Oh, you're starting with all this momentum and everything. Right. Uh, what I want church planters and what I want, you know, people who are trying to transition a church to hear is North Point. I forget what the outreach ranking is for this past year, but I thought I heard Andy say, what, North Point's the largest church on the outreach survey or the second yes. largest or largest? Yeah, we ended up largest thanks to a couple of people just deciding not to send their numbers in. So, hey, <laughs> thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll ride that as long as we can, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so the largest church, and it's just inconceivable. If you've been to North Point, you look at it and go, <laughs> wow, six campuses, you know, is just uh, mind-boggling. Taking the soundboard from North Point would pay for most church buildings, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> right? I mean, that uh, happens. So so everybody's looking at that, but when you hear the early days, now just think for a moment, Lane, and this is the part when you told me this at lunch a few years ago, I was like, what? You know, to go from 5,000 people when you're at First Baptist North right. to mm-hmm. 1,800 when right. you start your own thing, that would take the wind out of the sails of a lot of leaders, but it didn't stay at 1,800. Like, tell us what happened. Did you gain oh, no, or no, lose we, momentum uh, in those first three years? Well, you know, when, when you have leaders of our caliber, uh, you know, we we grew that 1,800 down to about 1,100 when we opened our building. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was uh, but again, it was a season of refinement, not only in the mission and vision, but, you know, the, the sharper you make a vision and a mission and, and the cl- more clearly you define it and, and the more clearly you're able to cast that vision, uh, not only will you grow, you'll lose some people, too. And um, as, as we began to do that and Andy began to, to cast that vision, um, some people realized that, you know, they, they really didn't you know want to be a part of what we we're doing and uh, not, you know, not. In, in a negative or angry, you know, kind of way, just in a clarifying way. And so uh, every decision we would make when we decided not to be a, a Sunday school model uh, in a world that, you know, you know, we 
You know, I, I won't say, this, you mm. know, I'd say, you know, Southern Baptist maybe didn't create Sunday school, but they perfected it. <laughs> and, um, you know, when we moved out of that model, that, that was a, a defining and refining moment. Uh, when we decided not to be a Baptist church, that was a refining, you know, and defining moment. So, you know, as, as the vision and mission became more clear, uh, not only did we attract people, but, you know, we, we rightfully so, you know, lost some people. So, like I said, by the time we opened three or so odd years later in our building, uh, I want to say we were <clears throat> down to about 11, 1200 adults, um, you know, on a, on a Sunday on, you know, your average, average weeknight. Okay. So let me jump in. You say that so casually and so matter of factly, but I just, yeah. I just want to paint the picture for people. All right. So three years earlier, you're leading 5,000 people. Right. Then when you started the church, you're leading 1800 people. Then you're down to 1100 people after three years. Most people would say what we're doing is not working. Uh, this mm. is a failure. I mean, wasn't the temptation, like, I'll bet, okay, because I know if, if you've read Deep and Wider, The Seven Practices, adult Sunday school is a big, big deal. And there's a few little cultural places still today where that is the reality. But yeah. like, if you would have done adult Sunday school rather than small groups, you probably could have increased your growth by 30 or 40%. I mean, there are things you could have done. Why didn't you do that? And why didn't you get discouraged? And why didn't you guys just quit? Because it's not like you were floating in money. You had to decide who's going to go to the mail to open the chat, right? Tell that right. story. Like you didn't have lots of money either. Um, well, we didn't have lots of, I mean, does any church ever have yeah. lots of money, you know, but we had, I mean, I'll say we had, and, and this is, this is the reason that, that these people are so dear to us. We had a group of, of people who are, are our age now, you know, the 55 to mm. 65, you know, our, our age and a little bit older that, uh, that didn't necessarily understand exactly <laughs> what we were doing, right. <clears throat> but understood what our heart was and understood what the desire was to create a church that unchurched people could love to attend and to create a place where everyone could grow in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, um, and again, these people, you know, they, they didn't understand the model because we were figuring it out as well, but they believed in, in what God was doing and they gave generously and mm. consistently and, um, and really gave uh, to, to something that, that really was not designed to benefit them, um, yeah. but would create a place, uh, and, and many of them told us this, that, that they knew that their children and grandchildren could engage with because they had walked away from their churches and they had walked wow. away and it had become, um, you know, unattractive to them or, or irrelevant to them. And so, you know, no, we didn't have a ton of money and, you know, no church, you know, ever does, but there were some faithful people. Now, sure. the, the story you alluded to is, <clears throat> yeah, there were, there were times when, uh, when it, it was very tight and uh, we, we were on a, um, compared to, you know, to now we're not even a shoestring budget. I don't even know what, I don't even know how small you would call what we were on, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, in the early days, the, the mail would come in and, you know, you can kind of tell a bill and, and an envelope, you know, a, a giving envelope, you know, when it comes in the mail and we would just kind of deal them out and staff meeting that the six of us would sit there and, and we would all open it. Whoever, you know, opened the biggest check would open the rest of them because we, you know, they were hot that day. So it was like, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and uh, that's only slightly, uh, I'm only slightly kidding there. But, um, yeah. but yeah, there were, there were just days that, you, you know, you had to, but I would say part of those three years, um, the, the reason that we didn't do Sunday school had a philosophical reason, but it also had a very practical reason. We didn't have a building to do Sunday school in. And, um, and we knew that, you know, we couldn't. Well, when we were finally able to build a building, we knew we weren't able to build a building big enough to do Sunday school. So right. we were philosophically opposed to it in a way and that we really believed that community happened best in a longer, more relaxed environment. But we also knew that we could never, if, if we believed that, um, that God would do what we had seen him do and, and, you know, grow us to five you know, 6,000 adults, the cost of a building to house that for Sunday school would be astronomical, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in our world. So we really looked at it as a, a, a way to save on parking and building costs because, uh, you know, when you run a Sunday school model, nobody leaves. 
or right. Sunday school one hour and, and the service the next hour. So you have to have parking for double the size, you know, of your church because everybody stays. Well, you know, it really was a practical approach for us as well to say, you know, you can come here and go to church for an hour, maybe serve for an hour, but that's not everyone. And so um, the the situation that we were in and only meeting every other week forced us into also being able to say, hey, right now we can't do Sunday school. And it gave us the time to make the decision philosophically. The practical mm. limitations gave us the chance to export philosophically. That's a really important principle that sometimes the lack of resources or the lack of opportunity or the lack of facility can lead you into more permanent philosophical decisions. You have to make sure theologically Absolutely. and philosophically you're on board, right? But but we talk about that. Andy does, Reggie does, you do, I do. That with size and growth always comes complexity and more. And that Absolutely. isn't necessarily a good idea. Right. Now, Okay, so did you, in, in those three years, as you saw the numbers not go up and to the right, but down and to the left, did you have a lot of critics? Did you have people going, hey, you guys are not on to something here? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you go from 1,800 to 11 or 1,200, it wasn't because people loved it. <laughs> you <know>? So, uh, <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, this is so good, I can't stay. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, there were, you know, and, and honestly, um, I, I'm sure different ones of us heard different levels of criticism, but we were really so <laughs> convinced that what we were doing was the direction God called us to, to go in. Mm. And, um, and there was so much to do and there was, you know, so little time. I, I think, um, I think we just, you know, it wasn't that we didn't know it. We just didn't acknowledge it or it was sort of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand. But, hey, we got to we got to keep moving forward. And um, Andy's an amazing uh, leader at yes, constantly is. focusing on, you know, the future. And, yeah, there's there's evaluation and you evaluate what you've done to learn from it and then you move on. But uh, very much a, a forward progress oriented uh, leader. And so. I think that is is kind of what um, enabled us to to stay focused, you know, ahead. And I I don't know about you, Carrie, but I find the older I get, the more I listen to critics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of arrogance in youth and a little bit of bulletproofness. Yeah, a lot. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah for exactly. Me, for me, but you know, I think it's a it's a good thing. I see young leaders that that I think, gosh, you're not listening. And I think, yeah, well, I didn't listen either. And you know, we you know we didn't always listen. And sometimes that that can hurt you and, yeah. and granted, but also the ability to filter out the criticism and kind of go, well, all right, we'll pick up, we'll pick and choose and listen to a little bit of that and learn from it. But, you know, if, if you're just, if it's just negativity, then, yeah. then, you know, that's, you're not trying to help us be better. You're just against what we're doing. That's fine. Very true. You can be against what we're doing. There's, thousands of other places within, you know, a stone store of here that will do exactly what you're wanting to do. So, you know, we, we, we were able to, I feel like, um, with, with, well, you know, without being, you know, I said arrogant about it or, 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 um, negative about it to be able to say to people, Hey, we totally get what you're saying. And you guys know as well as we do, there are a half dozen churches right around here who will do exactly what you're you're talking about. Right That's not what we're going to do, and um, <clears throat> it enabled us to to go forward. Now, <laughs> I don't think any of us would say we were absolutely convinced that it was going to work, but um, <laughs> but you know, I, I I feel like we were we were confident in having seen what we saw at First Baptist North that we could get back to that. Right. And, you know, get, and you yeah. did say that, and I've heard you say that or Andy say that uh, before, I forget which, but uh, the, basically your like crazy big dream was maybe we'll have 5,000 people here one day, but you yeah. never, <clears throat> never thought, oh, oh my goodness, this is where yeah. this is going to end. I think we blew up. past our vision so long ago. It's, it's you know, and, and yeah, Andy has said this, and, and we've all said that. People say, wow, did you ever imagine? We're like, <laughs> no, we didn't imagine uh, we we sat down. I remember on one of our our first leadership team retreats, and um, we 
sketched out a, a an org chart for a church of 5,000 adults because, mm-hmm. as, as I said, we had seen that, and and we didn't presuppose that God would do that again, but um, we we felt like we needed to be prepared for it if he did. Right. And so, uh, you know, so that was kind of our, our, our first, our first uh, uh, you know, vision plan as it worked out with the, the org chart and just sat down and said, all right, how do we, you know, how do we populate this org chart? And so we, we created the org chart. I want to say there were like 45 or 48 positions on the org chart. And we took our six names and put them in every one of those blocks. Yeah. And so everybody, you know, you know, Andy obviously didn't have as many of those blocks as, as we did because he was, you know, communicating and doing that. But everybody was in more than one block and several of us mm-hmm. were in, you know, six or eight blocks. And, um, and then you know, that got refined and changed. But I, I still encourage leaders when they're starting their churches to do that as well. Every season, every level they get to, go ahead and plan what the organization is going to look like at the next level. Create the org chart. And then I think it keeps you from making sideways hires or, or you know, like making spur-of-the-moment decisions because you create that org chart from a very um, thoughtful position and then when it's time to hire and you go, hey, we can hire two people this year, you just look at that org chart and go, okay, what are the next what are the next two blocks I'm gonna take my name out of? Or who needs to right. take your name out of a block? <laughs> you know, and then you uh you do that. So anyway, I just think it's a a, a smart it's good way practical to, advice. Absolutely. I think we got that from the E Myth. I remember that's another yes. one of the books that we read in the Great early days. Great book. E Myth Revisited. We'll link to that in the show notes. Lane, one of the things you alluded to that I've talked to you about a, a little bit with Andy, a lot with Reggie and even Debbie Joyner, mm-hmm. um, was those leadership team retreats that you guys yeah. did in the early years. So staff, the six of you who started the church, eventually right. became leadership team. Right. And was it every year you'd go off? And can you talk about it? Because one of the seven practices is work on it, not in right. it. But you guys practice that because church is busy, but you, you know, there's a metaphor in business that you're building the airplane while flying on it. And that's kind of what you were doing. So tell us, walk us through those leadership team retreats and what they were like, and even the dynamic in them, because they weren't always, you guys didn't always agree. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, actually we went on our first one in the fall of 96. So it was right after we had started and, um, Andy had spoken somewhere they got they they agreed to donate a uh, a house I think down in Hilton Head for us to go and stay in. Sounds nice. And um yeah it was great and so um that October somewhere in there every year the six of us and our spouses uh went down to the beach and we would meet all morning the the staff would meet um from like you know 8:30 till lunch and then we would have the afternoon to to just relax with our, our spouses and each other and, you know, go out to the beach or do whatever. Every night uh, we would basically we were there for four nights. So we went out to eat one night and the other three nights, two of the couples would switch off and we would, you know, cook dinner for the other, other people. And um, it was just, it was a formative time for us because it was basically where we did our planning for the next year. Yeah. And so uh, we would meet in October and we would, we would sit down and go, okay, what do we think is next and, and what do we need to add and what's the, the, the next, uh, you know, whatever, right. you know, it is, uh, whether it's adding new ministries, whether it's adding new staff, what, you know, where do we see things going? And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing, an amazing time. And, uh, one of the things that, that, that we talked about in the early days, and I think this was Covey's, I don't know who this was, but it was sort of the idea of act like then is now. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it was one of those things where we were like, wow, you know, one day we're going to need to get away as a leadership team and and make plans and, you know, for a church. That's what a big church would do. And so we decided to do that in the fall of 96 when, you know, the entire staff by that time was probably eight people. So wow. the six of us and then two other staff members um, that we left at the office to go on staff retreat, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Awkward. it was... And, and I've heard Andy talk about this and, and there was that moment and this, you know, this was obviously his, his call, but it was like, wow, it would be so much easier to take the two of them, you know, with us and go, Hey, it's just the eight of us. So, you know, let's go. But knowing that by the next year, if right. God did what we thought he was going to do, you know, there would be, you know, 10 to 12 people that we left behind. 
it would be far more awkward to disinvite them the next year than to not invite them the first year. You know, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a, a tough thing, but yeah, those times were great. And, um, and it really gave us a sense of being able to get away and think through really do some, um, some unfiltered debate as, um, Lencioni calls it, um, whose books we, we devoured and uh, that's where a lot of that happened. And uh, and did you have disagreement at times? Oh gosh, that yes, yeah. There was um, there was there was fun. I mean, because <laughs> here here's the thing, and this is what I, I really believe. I think one of the real strengths of of those early years is we had all known each other. I'd known Rick since college. Uh, mm-hmm. Julie Arnold, who you mentioned, was in my wedding. Um, right. uh, you know, we've known, uh, like I said, I've, I've known Andy since just out of college and, and actually knew him, you know, a little bit prior to that. So we had relationship and, uh, Reggie was, hey, Reggie would always say, well, I'm the new guy. I'm the new guy. Finally, we're like, you know, Reggie, you've been around 10 years. You're not the new guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, you know, because we had a relational base, I think we were able to kind of, you know, be a little more honest and, and take more risk in saying what we needed to be said because we knew we weren't putting a relationship at risk um, because our, we were committed relationally um, and then organizationally. And so, um, but yeah, it was, it was tense and, and, you know, Carrie, you know, you could tell, you know, the audience, but I, I mean, I I have the gift of sarcasm and I can, uh, (laughs) yes, you you do. Yeah. It's it's, very entertaining. You know, it is never constructive. It is always, you know, cutting, but, um, you know, so yeah, there were, you know, there were times feelings were hurt and, and, you know, there were, you know, times that, you know, Andy would have to ask you to go for a walk down the beach and it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's like nobody wanted to be asked to walk down the beach. Cause that was kind of the, you know, Hey, you know, what happened? You, you know, <laughs> Got took that one a little hall. too far or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and there or, were tears. Know, I think I read that or heard that somewhere. Was that, is that true? Were there tears sometimes or not? Well, not that anyone would admit to, but, oh, um, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe there were, maybe I Reggie told that. you that. Maybe Reggie told you maybe that. Reggie told me yeah, that. No, yeah. In secrecy. I'll have to ask Reggie. Yeah. He okay. was like, he was just fighting in you. Maybe he was just justifying my tears. I don't know <laughs> what he was doing. Okay. Yeah. But there was, there was active debate and I'm so glad, yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think a lot of the times when we're in the trenches, we're starting something, transitioning something, reimagining something, we just think it's all going to be up and to the right. Everybody's going to agree. There's going to be no criticism. It's just going to grow. It's going to be instantly resourced. And when you actually look in the trenches at the early years of North Point, there really wasn't a lot of indication that something this great and this influential would emerge out of that. I mean, sure, all the signs were there, but it wasn't just just add water and instantly amazing things happen. Right, right, yeah. absolutely. And I think that's encouraging. I think people need to know that. Yeah. So, Lane, uh, man, we've been... I mean, I love my conversations with you and here we are coming up on the hour mark, which is great. You've got another podcast to do today as well, this... Uh, Andy Stanley leadership thing. Yeah. 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 yeah that was so, kind of, you know, I'll say one more thing about what we were just talking yeah, about. Say, and this, say more about that. Well, it, it's the idea. I think people try to avoid, <clears throat> you know, conflict and avoid it. It's like, Hey, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or, yeah. you know, we'll just work that out later. I, I would say this. I think the, the battles that we fought early on and, you know, there were no knives pulled, but I mean, we, yeah. we went at it hard when it came to, what our mission was going to be, what our vision was going to be, what our model was going to look at. And nobody pulled any punches because <clears throat> we cared that passionately about what we were doing. But I would say the 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 fighting that went on then and the battle for clarity and this this is what we're gonna do and and nobody would kind of relent or you had to you had to really win your your point. I think those fights have kept us from so many fights mm. over the the subsequent you know, 18 or so years, because if you will fight for clarity around your mission, your vision, everything that you're, you're, you know, really going to build your organization on, it really answers all the other things that you see organizations fight over. I mean, it, it, it clears up money decisions. It clears up staffing decision. It clears up, you know, do we do this, you know, A or B? Because the clearer that mission and vision is, those questions answered themselves. And so 
you know, I, I would just say when people are like hesitant to to, you know, say, make that last comment that's going to really, it's going to extend the meeting another hour and it's just going to open up a can of worms. You either open it now or you open up, you know, a thousand cans later on. So, uh, you know, I, I think that is what I saw play out over 20 years. Now, I won't say we knew that at the time. I think we were all just stubborn and, and you know, we all thought we were right and we would all, you know, kind of fight. And there were, you know, there were a couple of times that Andy would finally just have to go, look, here's what we're going to do, you know, because we weren't going to agree. But most of the time, we were able to fight through to the clarity of not only what we wanted to say, but the way we wanted to say it in such a way that it really has stood the test of time. Well, you know, and I, I want to amplify that, um, Lane, because, I mean, you and I have talked since you've been running Strategic Partner World, just about you brought me in on a couple of key conversations and mm -hmm. we've shared opinions and sometimes we haven't always agreed, but that that is tremendous. Like it's yeah. really helpful. And I've, I've worked with Reggie for about 10 years on ideas and um, well, that's always a smooth process. Oh my, I'll tell you, like <laughs> you really go at it sometimes with Reg Absolutely. and he doesn't agree or I don't agree. And, and ironically you think that would jeopardize the relationship, but it actually yeah. makes it deeper. Absolutely. It actually, it actually means that you come up with an idea that ultimately everyone will rally around or you're like, well, I don't really like that, but that's where we're going to go and I'm going to support it. And it just makes it so, so good. So if you're afraid of that, because if you get superficial agreement on the front end, you will get profound disagreement on the back end. Absolutely. If, if you've got, you know, disagreement on the front end and you work through that all, you're probably going to get alignment down the road. Just a really good point. So I want to fast forward now. We're going to skip over two decades and, and here <laughs> okay. you are sitting in the role that you sit today. All right. As you look ahead and you can talk about this for North Point, you could talk about this for the strategic partner and network world that, that you lead. What's next and what's new and what are you innovating in these days? Um, I think for, you know, for North Point Ministries at, at large, you know, our, our innovation is to continue to try to um, improve upon and um, and create churches that unchurched people love to attend. And right. one of the things that I just give Andy all the credit in the world for is that um, the just the relentless focus on that that vision and our mission, I think, has kept us on track. And and yeah, we do a few things now that we you know wouldn't have done years ago as it relates to investing in other churches and and drive and different conferences and that kind of thing um, because we believe we're just being good stewards of what God has given us. But yeah. <laughs> beyond that, I feel like we've we've stayed focused on the fact that we exist to create churches that unchurched people love to attend. And um, to do them as to do as many as we can, as well as we can, and then to uh, figure out how to to multiply that out um, in, into the world. And that's kind of my area. Uh, as you said, I work right. with uh, North Point Partners and um, uh, our, our vision is, you know, a church for the unchurched in every community. And so we want to find ways to partner with church leaders and uh, partner with church planters in um, planting churches according to the North Point model, but that are designed to, uh, you know, just be irresistible to the unchurched people in their community. So uh, in my world, it's trying to figure out how to do that, um, you know, both well and then to do it, you know, to scale it and to um, to to be able to find a way to um, to resource and 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 add value to churches, you know, 2000 miles away. I feel like we've. Uh, figured out as many people have the multi-site world of, of right. 20 miles away. And, um, but you know, 2000 miles is a bit, a bit tougher. So that's kind of what we're focused on right now. And, uh, we're, we're really excited about what we see God doing. And, um, you know, the, the difference now than 20 years ago is, uh, you know, 20 years ago when we talked about this idea of a, a church that unchurched people would love to attend, you know, we would kind of get this look like, well, you know, I don't know exactly what that is. You know, I, that there is far more understanding now. You know, the, you, it's hard to go into a community and be the first hot dog stand now. Yeah, uh, there are uh, so many great leaders out there doing, and there were then. I'm, I, this isn't a uh, you know we started it and you know when mm. there were, but it's it's just far more prevalent uh, twenty years later than it was you know then. So now. Uh, the the opportunity and the challenge is to find those leaders who are 
are going to figure it out one way or the other, but that we can work with them and, and uh, just, as we say, help them go further faster. Lane, probably one of the questions I get asked most often is, how do we become a North Point strategic partner? Or how do we become now we've got this network church uh, thing going on? How, how, what would leaders say to that? What would you say to that? How, what's the process? Can you just apply and become a North Point partner or network church? How does that work? Um, well, yeah, you, you can just apply. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you, you, you become one, but we, we would love to talk to anybody who resonates with the idea of creating a church on church people love to attend, um, either as a church planter or as, um, a, an existing church that has, you know, been to our conference, read our books and, and loves what we're doing, but would, would love to, uh, to engage with us, you know, on that side, um, northpointpartners.org, just northpointpartners.org is, is the site to go to. And, and there's a process. And um, what we look for is an affinity around uh, the, the key principles, key ideas of what we do and how we do it. You know, not only our mission and our vision, but irresistible environments, you know, highly valuing family ministry, uh, these, these different, you know, keys of, of what we believe make um, our church is distinctive. And so, um, uh, yeah, we'd love to, to interact with, with anyone who, who has that interest. And we have different levels in my world, but we also have different levels of engagement across our organization, whether it's through conferences or, or books or, or different things. So our desire is to add value to the local church and to, as I said, create churches on church people love to attend in every community. So, you know, we'll look in any way, shape, or form we can to add value to churches who are committed to that. That is so cool. Lane, thank you so much. We'll link to everything in the show notes. You can find it there. And I just got to say, as somebody who's had the privilege of being on the inside of uh, North Point for the last, what, nine years or so since we became a strategic partner at Connexus Church, eight and a half years, I have so enjoyed the relationship and so enjoyed the conversation and feel like, as Andy said many times, you know, we've been able to go further faster because of this. So uh, thanks so much, Lane. You helped a lot of leaders today. Well, Carrie, let me just say that I think one of the the biggest blessings and just the most amazing things that we've gotten to experience for the last 10 to, to 15 years as we've grown and became, um, you know, more known in the world is the ability to connect and to, to interact with leaders such as yourself. And, uh, it is, I think for us, the highest compliment, uh, when amazing leaders like you, who, like I said, we're doing it anyway, figuring it out, we're, we're blazing trails in your case, uh, you know, throughout Canada. And, and, and we see this across the United States when they come and say, Hey, we want to learn together. That's the biggest compliment we ever get paid. So I just appreciate you and Connexus Church and and all you guys have brought to the table because at the end of the day, we really do want to always be a learning organization. And and we say this, and this isn't like, oh, okay, that's nice of you to say. We learn as much from the churches that we work with as they learn from us uh, because we constantly want to, to see what new leaders are doing and what great leaders are doing. And, and you're definitely at the forefront of that. Wow. Well, Lane, I'm, I, I got to tell you, it's just been an amazing privilege and I never would have thought that we'd be able to do this together. <laughs> it has been. Thanks, Gary. Man, I'll tell you that, that, you know, this interview just reminds me why I wanted to do this podcast at the very beginning. And, and it was because, you know, I remember having this conversation with Lane over lunch a few years ago and just, you know, drilling down on those early days in North Point, which are always the early days of anything are just fascinating to me because I think most people quit before their critical breakthrough. And so as I listened to it, I'm like, man, I wish everybody knew this. I wish everyone could hear it. And then when we started the podcast, you know, just about two years ago, uh, I just thought, wow, now we can bring these stories to light, which has been a lot of fun. So thank you for making it so fun. Thank you, Lane, for sharing that. And all of the links, including the links on how to become a strategic partner or a network church, are in the show notes. And you can just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 91, and you'll find everything there. Hey, next week, we are coming back. And uh, for all of you who are church planting, church planters, hands up. All right. I know there's a lot of you listening. Some of you are bivocational. Some of you are like, man, our church is small and it's real small and we don't know how to make it bigger. (laughs) You're going to want to tune in because uh, I'm going to sit down 
with Adam Duckworth and John Garippa. Some of you are like, oh, I think I know Adam. Yeah, he wrote a book with Sue Miller called Not Normal, but he's also a church planter. And so we're going to look at the world of startup church, lessons from the trenches. And this is not a zero to 2020 minute story. This is like, wow, we planted, we slid back, and we're still in the trenches kind of story. Because sometimes you just need to know, okay, we're not alone. And, you know, this happens all over the place. And what are some lessons we can pull out of that? Now, Adam and John are incredible leaders, and they're going to share their philosophy of city ministry. And they're in the early days, like their church is measured by months old. And we're going to go live with them and just try to see what God is doing in their midst and some of the lessons we can learn as leaders. So that's episode 92 next week. Going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you catch it. And the easiest way to do that is simply to subscribe and you can do that for free. So make sure you do that today. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. And I really do hope that our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.